everybody hello again and welcome back to another episode of the welch report with me john luke welch make some noise clap it up get excited wherever you are we are back with another episode an end of the year episode of the welch report with me john luke welch. we got so much to cover talking about the word of boxing talking about the word of the nba with anthony joshua beating Otto arlene deontay wilder and his upset loss to joseph parker as well as in a way and of course Kevin Durant, so much more talked about all around sports. We're going to talk about it right here on this show. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you so much for listening. We made it. The end of the year is almost here. Merry Christmas or late Merry Christmas. Hopefully you enjoyed your holidays. Happy New Year for the up and coming New Year. Hopefully everybody enjoys it. Don't go too crazy now. Like I know some of y'all may do. You might have kept the lid on for Christmas. But oh, holidays, some of y'all like to blow up. Let me, let me, hold on. Wait a minute. Slow it down. Make sure you get there. <laughs> make sure you don't make New Year's night the last night. <laughs> oh boy. Make sure you actually get to enjoy the New Year Day. Not just dump it all away. <laughs> <laughs> in the night of midnight for New Year's Eve and New Year, the, the, the celebration, of course. I'm just messing. I'm just teasing. I don't know y'all's personal lives, and y'all don't know mine, but you know what I love to do? I love to talk about the sports where I love to do it with you all. So thank you so much for all the support. Again, leave a like on the video, comment your thoughts and opinions, subscribe to the channel, and share the show with everybody that you know so we can build up this empire of a community of a channel together my goodness we're already almost at 700 we done made so much progress thank you all so much for the support and without further ado let's jump into the world of the sports ethos and well we got to start start with the day of reckoning talking about the world of boxing and since we're talking about boxing it is time to step into the ring that's right ring the bell let's get it started round one of this show oh this is box the boxing segment of the show underway talking about let's start with the main event anthony joshua my goodness this has been a fight that we have been looking to see and a fight that i've been waiting to see from anthony joshua not because of the opponent but because of what's at stake. This was a fight that for everybody who, who didn't know, he faced off against Otto Arlene on the Day of Reckoning as the main event of the show. They finally got it figured out as to who the main event was and had an absolute masterclass of a performance. This was be beautiful. This was absolutely beautiful coming from Anthony Joshua. This Joshua is the Joshua that I've been waiting on. This Joshua is the Joshua I've been saying. If we see it, he will be back, and he is he is he he will be a threat again to the title contending um, upper echelon of the heavyweight division. But yet, he will be a threat to the title holders of whoever will be the new undisputed heavyweight champion in the world come February between Tyson Fury out in now out of and Alexander Usyk. Those two fighters were seen as cut and dry above the best. With AJ, in many people's eyes, could be a closer. Maybe fourth, the people had Wilder above him. We're going to get into Wilder, trust and believe. But we're talking about beforehand. With Anthony Joshua, he was losing stock. He was losing ground. Despite the knockout with Robert Alanis, he was still seen as somebody who still hadn't proven that he was really ready to touch the brass ring again. That is the heavyweight championship. Seemingly, if it was if it was Fury or Usyk who had those belts, there was no way that we would see AJ be able to get him again. 
because of the agent that we had seen in the past. The agent that got knocked out by Andy Ruiz. The agent that even in the company by Andy Ruiz switched up his style completely. Now, it was a point in time when it, it may have looked like, okay, maybe he will be back. And then what happened? Lost against Usyk. Lost against Usyk again. And we have seen that the effects of that loss in Ruiz kept on recurring and coming back on Anthony Joshua. Demons that he couldn't let go. Issues that he couldn't just relent. Problems that he wasn't able to, to, to shake off. And he wasn't able to fight ab- over. Seemingly he was hesitant. Seemingly he was cautious. Seemingly he wasn't the Joshua of old. Seemingly Anthony Joshua had lost the same spark and confidence that had gotten him to the big dance. That had gotten him to be seen as not only one of the biggest stars in the UK. But one of the biggest stars around the world. And one of the, not one of, the best heavyweight in the world at one point in time. We were saying, would he ever get back to that point? And it seemed like a far-fetched ordeal. However, now, this is a completely different AJ. Which is great. Actually, let me rephrase it. It's not a completely different AJ. This is an AJ that looks like the Anthony Joshua we've been clamoring for. This AJ against Otto Wallin was confident, was walking Otto down, was able to slip and counter with confidence, without fear of getting hit back. Granted, Otto Wallin is a brother that can crack heavily. He's only got, what, eight knockouts, I believe, to his name? I believe under 10 at minimum. And if it is above 10, it ain't that much. So it ain't like Ottawa was a heavy hitter. Yes, we know he was tough. Yes, we know he is game. Yes, he know he can he was he he, he can go to war with anybody if necessary. We saw how tough he was against Tyson Fury. We know that this man legitimately has talent. So he's not just a pushover. He's not just a name. He's respectable. But AJ against other respectable opponents hadn't been putting up performances that we've been needing to see from Joshua. Now we can't say that anymore. Again, walked him down, confidently countering Wallin at every shot that he threw. Was you saw a game plan, jabbing and going straight to the body, up high, down low, consistently all night long, but looking like a killer, looking like somebody who has complete control of the ring, not second guessing himself. Throwing combination punches. Maybe not three or four punch flurries, but it will be back-to-back one-two combinations. Jab straight, jab hook, jab to the body. Another second later, jab to the head, jab to the body. Another second later, a straight, and then a hook. There was a a flow and an outright aura of, I'm here to seek and destroy. An outright aura of, I'm back to what I need to be. That's what AJ showed. And it was phenomenal. It was great. He wasn't fighting scared. He wasn't fighting, oh, I need to be cautious. He wasn't fighting and seemingly caught between two styles. This new trainer, I I, I forget his name and I apologize, but the new trainer that he's under after leaving Derrick James has gotten this brother right. He's found a style that fits him. He's found a style that makes that that embodies everything that he's that he is best at. Accentuates the power. Makes it so that he's able to confidently move. And I know what I can do to you. And I'm gonna walk in that level of power. I have the ability to knock you out. But I'm not, but while I know that's in my arsenal, 
I'm not fighting as if to cover it up because I'm scared of what's coming back to me. I now know how to confidently combat what's coming at me. Again, we get Otto Arlene isn't a big puncher, like I said previously. That doesn't matter. Because against big punches or non-big punches, it was still the same thing of Joshua not being confident. Joshua not being the AJ that we knew he could be. Joshua seemingly having mental blocks and holding himself back. That's what Anthony Joshua was doing. And now it's not the case anymore. Now seemingly it's not the case anymore. This is a Joshua that was able to walk him down. For what was it, six rounds? Six rounds. Walk him down. Move confidently. Have an aura of I am better than you and you know it. Not I know it, but you know it. Was moving Otto Arlene around the ring. Utilizing power to the fullest extent. Throwing, off, throwing him off balance. Hurting him. Consistently. Up until he got the fight stopped in the sixth round. It was a complete and utter devastation. And he would have knocked him out if the fight had been able to continue and the corner didn't stop him. This fight by AJ was a statement fight, not just to Wilder, but to himself and every other critic, myself included, who's been a critic of AJ, and rightfully so. That all that noise I've heard, and you can't say that anymore. That's what this performance was was to shove it in everybody's face that no longer are you going to keep on talking about me, talking about me, critiquing me, critiquing me, downplaying what I can do, downplaying what I can be, saying I'm not what I used to be. You're right, I'm not. In his mind, I'm better. That's what he, that's what he tried to project and did project. Just about, that's what he projected to, to everybody. This was a statement performance that we can't help but laud and applaud because this is phenomenal for the Anthony Joshua that can compete with Usyk, that can compete with Fury. This Anthony Joshua is somebody that can get a heavyweight championship. This Anthony Joshua is somebody that is no longer on the last legs of their competitiveness in terms of opportunities at a title. This Anthony Joshua is no longer an Anthony Joshua that is just a name that is markable, marketable, excuse me, because of his smile, because of his body, because of his, again, power and reputation. Now his in-ring performance backs all that up. This Anthony Joshua is a Joshua that we can say, hey, he can be a champion. He's, this Joshua going up against Usyk can have a real shot. I'm not saying that he's going to win, but I'm saying this Joshua against Usyk, especially with how it went from a unanimous decision to a split decision and he had an even better performance in the second fight he faces him again with this type of confidence this type of outright utilizing every single ability in his arsenal no longer being scared no longer fighting timid no longer fighting with a block seemingly on some of his skills this Joshua can give Usyk come up for his money this Joshua can make one of the biggest fights in British boxing history, let alone heavyweight boxing history, AJ versus Fury. This fight can give that fight the requisite legitimate fight, not just marketability of, oh man, two of the, British, two of the biggest British heavyweights that we've seen going at it is going to draw in millions. No. 
it's not just the name value anymore. The product that can be produced now is going to be something special. And the product against Wilder would be spectacular with this type of Anthony Joshua. Again, because this Anthony Joshua, one of the biggest reasons why I was saying that Joshua wouldn't be able to be Wilder was because he, he fought timid so many other times, despite him being a better fundamental box all around, that my thinking was if he fought against Wilder, he wouldn't have a shot, despite him having better boxing acumen. Because he would let himself lose himself, not just to the threat of getting knocked out, but to the but to not having access or the ability to utilize everything in his arsenal because he would fight in a style that wouldn't be conducive. That's what I was thinking was going to be. Now, however, completely different, especially going into what we saw with Deontay Wild. Especially went to what we, especially with what we went and saw with Deontay Wild which I'm just about to touch on. But real quick, last thing on Anthony Joshua. Joshua proved me wrong. Thankfully so. Joshua, actually, let me phrase He didn't prove me wrong. He did what I've been saying he needed to do. Proving me wrong was him losing the fight. He didn't lose the fight. But he finally adapted in the way that I needed him to adapt. He got back into the mindset and got over the mental problems that we were seeing physically stop him from being the best agent. Again, even in the knockout with Robert Elanius, like I talked about in the last episode, he was still, while the knockout was incredible, everything else before that didn't look like the Joshua that I needed to see. The end result didn't tell or didn't cap off a good story of a new reinvigorated Anthony Joshua. It didn't. The only thing that it did was give a cap off to a great, a, a, a cap off, a great capping off of a fight, but a fight that if you read the story and watch the fight, still Anthony Joshua was lacking something. And that something was confidence. I've been saying that. I said it about Robert Elanius in that fight, or about the Robert Elanius fight on this show. If he can't get over the mental blocks that have him tied down, he won't be able to be what he needs to be, not just to beat Wilder, but to be a champion in any way, shape, or form. And now he's gotten that confidence back in this AJ. It's like the AJ of old. This AJ has the semblance of the AJ of old. This Anthony Joshua is about as close as we can see to Anthony to the Anthony Joshua that had a knockout streak of 20 To the Anthony Joshua that beat Klitschko. To the Anthony Joshua that got knocked down by Klitschko and got back up and knocked him down and then knocked him out. Or rather got the fight stopped. The Joshua that went through adversity, the Joshua that was outright confident in everything, not just believed in his own height, but walked in it and fought like such. Now, anytime he goes into a pre-fight presser, a pre-fight anything, Weighing, whatever. We can now solidly say that the mentality that he says he wants to bring to the ring, he can back it up. And that is real. He didn't show it. It was, it was a different frame of production versus projection. 
for Anthony Josh. What he projected, what he wanted to be versus what he was inside the ring. Now that's not the case anymore. His projection and his production both line up. Both stay true. Both have legitimate credit. Both are real. It's not a facade anymore. It's not, it's not fake confidence. Not saying that Joshua was ever fake, but I'm talking about what he projected versus what he would produce in the ring. And now he would look in the ring. Was not the same. The, my gripe with Joshua wasn't that he wasn't good. He was good. It wasn't that he didn't have tools to be something great. Because he does. It was the fact that he was holding himself back because the, the remnants of that loss was still seen in the way that he fought. The remnants of, of Andy Ruiz was still seen in the way that he fought. Now, it's about gone. It's about all gone. It's about all gone. Nearly. There's still, it's, 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 it's still a little bit that I see. There's still just a touch that I see. But no longer is it that it's behind him. Or no longer is it that it's in front of him. And he still thinks about it. Now, it's a situation where, okay, it's, 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 he's, he's, we know it's there, but no longer is it going to hold him back. He's now pushing through. He's pushing out of it. He's pushing through what was holding him back. He's pushing through the mentality. He's pushing through the weight. He's pushing through the door to get to where he needs to be. And that's exactly what we wanted Anthony Joshua to do. And he did it. And it's incredible. It's, it, moi, it, moi. We love it. It is exactly what we wanted to see from Anthony Joshua. And he held up his end of the bargain upon of the agreed upon fight to Wilder if both of them won. And while he did his part, now we got to talk about Wilder. Second half, second portion of this boxing segment of the show. Deontay Wilder. Oh, Lord. Brother, my goodness, what this is ridiculous. What did I say Wilder needed to do in this fight against Joseph Parker? Well, again, Joseph Parker is a tough brother that's been in the ring with champions and the elite of the elite. Yeah, he's been knocked up, but he's tough, quick, fast, strong. He is durable. But the amount of damage that he took against Joe Joyce, we know he's respected and legitimate. It was just a matter of we thought, and I thought, Wilder was going to run through. Lo and behold, as first off, all respect, all respect to Joseph Parker. All respect to Joseph Parker. But he did exactly what he needed to do. He fought the perfect fight. Just like Wilder said, Wilder said, you, you, need to be, you need to be perfect for 12 rounds. I only need to be perfect for two seconds. And Joseph Parker was perfect. Keeping distance completely. Completely being out the way of the right hand. Using his own explosiveness to close the gap and land big shots consistently all night long before Wilder can, can adapt and attack. Ducking the right hand 
constantly. Constantly. I mean, it's it's dangerous game he was playing, but he played it. Every time Wilder threw it, ducked it confidently and kept and didn't back up, stayed his ground. Consistently the whole fight. Landed big right hands. Took it to Wilder. Did everything he needed to do. Phenomenal. There, there's there's a perfect game, it was a perfect game play. He did exactly what Luis Ortiz did in the first fight, and especially in the second fight. Boxed him, kept a distance, kept him on the back foot, was able to, again, use his jab to land, frustrate Wilder, did everything right for seven rounds, or was it seven or eight rounds, up until he got caught and knocked out. Because one mistake. Joseph Parker didn't do that. And he fought the perfect fight against Wilder. As opposed to outside of knocking him out and taking it to him like we've seen Tyson Fury did. Fought perfectly. The blueprint was there. And we know Wilder's beat him. The thing was, we were expecting to see Deontay Wilder change and adapt and become something more. That's been the whole gripe. Ever since Wilder had a long layoff, ever since he lost to Tyson Fury, Ever since his win against Robert Elanius. We have been saying, when will, when will we see Wilder get the tools necessary to at least be fundamentally adept? Not sound, adept. Able to utilize his jab even more. Utilize a hook once in a while. And get the uppercut more inclined in your arsenal. Also be able to fight on the back foot. All of it. At least we were hoping we saw a semblance of all of that in his return against Joseph Parker. The coming out party to the inevitable clash before AJ and Wilder. That's what we've been waiting on. And we were right there. One fight away. One night away. I'm having one of the bigger boxing or bigger heavyweight clashes in a while. Most likely whoever won that would get an immediate shot at the title. And now, all that's up in smoke. Because Wilder fought abysmally. Wilder fought hard. Wilder fought terribly. He regressed. As hard as that is, he regressed. He went completely, he fought completely outside of his own element. We know Wilder isn't a great back foot fighter. What we saw against Robert Elanius showed something great in mind. Him being able to knock out somebody on the back foot was seen as something. Okay, wait a minute. He's at least got a tool. He's got a tool in his belt that he can now use if he gets put on the back burner. That he can he can catch you if he gets put on the back foot. So if he gets put in that position, listen, listen closely. If he gets put in that position. Apropos word, prominent word, prevalent word, being put or forced in that position. Then he's got a way to fight back. This fight, he wasn't forced on the back foot. He willingly fought on the back foot. Willingly fought running the ropes. Not even running, walking the ropes. Willingly fought, trying to be a counterpunch, trying to catch you coming in. Trying to catch Joseph Parker coming in. Instead of initiating the offense. Which is something that. What the world. That's not Wilder. Wilder's a brawler. A swarmer. 
He comes forward and he wants to initiate the, 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 he wants to make the fight happen. That's what he's known to do. Leap forward and crack. That's what he wants to do. He did it against every other opponent. He even did it against Luis Ortiz. Luis Ortiz more so forced him on the back foot in their second fight. Again, forced. But first fight, Wilder was coming Wilder was coming forward. Berman's to Berman. He was coming forward. Every fight for about his whole career, he's been coming forward. And that's why he chose to opt to be a counterpuncher, opt to a fight going on the back foot. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. And then more than that, he regressed even more just from a fundamental aspect of forget going away from the game plan that you know. You, even in the game plan that you do know how to do, which is throw that right hand, but you barely threw it. And when you did, you just spammed without any setup, without using the jab straight that we know works phenomenally for you. Without gauging distance like you normally do. You fought abhorrently. You fought a bit. You were terrible. You were horrible. You were worse. This is the worst I've ever seen Wilder. Wilder put up a better fight against Tyson Fury in the three belts, including the one that he got absolutely whooped in in the second fight. Than this fight. This was just. This was sad. That's what this was. This was sad. Performance wise by Wilder. I'm happy that he's healthy. Happy that he's got money. Happy that he's happy. Happy that he's got everything. In his life. Good. His family set. Everything is phenomenal. I'm happy about it. But in the ring. Brother you were abysmal. We have said that you don't have any fundamental skill. We've been hard on you. I've been hard on you. Let me not say we. I've been hard on you about not having fundamental skill. I've been hard on you not having any form of legitimate boxing talent. Horrible footwork. Terrible head movement. Your blocking is abysmal. So many holes in your game. But I at least could hang my hat on you. Okay, he's an offensive fighter. His best defense is an offense that accentuates the danger that he brings to the table. You ain't even do that. This was a fight that showed me Wilder is everything that we thought he was. And he won't change. More than anything, he won't change. He will not change. I hope I'm wrong, but as of right now, he won't change. This Deontay Wilder is somebody who is not going, he, he is stuck in his ways. And everything, he's worse now than he was before. Whatever he did have, he lost. Whatever, whatever assets that did make him so formidable, he lost. Because now, we know he can still knock everybody out, but now we also know the tools that he will use, even in the limited skill set, to make that happen, he's dropped those as well. He go, he's going away from the very thing that makes him dangerous, which is coming forward. He let, literally, let Joseph Parker get away with just staying away on the outside. Didn't try to initiate anything up until late. Late in the fight. 
And I mean late in the fight. Like round 11 and 12 is when he actually started throwing. Outside of that, it was just counters. Counters all night long. Countering, if, if when Parker came in, tried to counter. Then after that, he wouldn't try to keep the pressure going. He wouldn't try to close the distance. He wouldn't try to walk Joseph Parker backwards and force him to have to react. No, it was just, okay, I'm going to keep on pushing my gloves together. Get, get ready. The second he tries to catch it, boom, I'm going to throw it. Again, Joseph Parker played a dangerous game, but he played it flawless because Wilder didn't have any other, any other answer. There was no other answer Wilder could do outside of trying to time that right hand with Joseph Parker coming in or time that right hand with Joseph Parker ducking and make it so that he can catch him clean. And he caught him once. He caught him once and then didn't catch him again. Top of the fact that but it was rabbit punching, hammer fisting, looking like an amateur, not looking like a title contender, not looking like a former champion, not looking like somebody who was seen as the, at one point in time, the second best heavyweight in the world. Not somebody, didn't like the Joshua that broke, or he didn't like the Wilder that broke Ali's title record. He didn't like a Wilder who was seen as the most dangerous man in the world. He didn't look like a Wilder that had the greatest right hand that we've ever seen. Though he still does. This was sad. Sad in every aspect. Sad in every facet. Wilder should be ashamed of this performance. Then going to go back talking about he won. Ridiculous. Stupid. Ignorant. Utterly despicable. The world is wrong with you. If you're Deontay Wilder, the world is wrong with you. The world is wrong with you. You say you want to go down your shield, which I can respect. And we all respect. It's what got you the most respect after that third loss to Fury. Because, brother, you went out like a warrior. And you did not give up. In any way, shape, or form. That Wilder, we were saying, okay, he can knock out AJ. Because AJ don't got that type of dog in him. This Wilder though? No. Uh-uh. There's no way. Got a good mind to say that if you don't land. AJ walks through you. This Wilder. AJ walks through you. With this AJ versus this Wilder, AJ walks through you. Completely 180 from what I've been saying about that matchup. Because of this fight. And what you showed. And not only your lack of improvement, but your regression of talent. Absolutely terrible. Utterly abysmal. This is this this gets me mad. This gets me hot. This gets me upset. Not just because of this loss. And again, I'm not rooting for Wilder or AJ. I love and respect them both. I don't got a horse in the race. I love Wilder because of the knockout power, and I love AJ because of what, again, I remember what he was, and I want to see him get back to what he is, and I want to, wanted to see them clash. Both of them retooled, regrouped, all-time confident, and at the best that they've ever been, fighting each other. That's what I wanted to see. And I've been, again, as you've seen on this show, I've been critical of both of them. Because there ain't no point in being biased. They both had major problems. One fixed them and one didn't. AJ fixed them. 
Wilder got more problems now. Forget fixing. The butler added more problems. Utterly terrible performance. This is Wilder. He's not going to change. Throwing the big right hand consistently. Boom, boom, boom. No setup. No game plan. Trying to fight in a style that doesn't fit him at all. On the back foot. Who's training Malik Scott? But you did a horrible job. If this is the game plan that you made for, this is terrible. This can't be how Wilder fights. He said he'll be back. I hope he does. And I hope he fights against a bunch of bums five times so that he can actually get an opportunity to tool or retool and get back to, at minimum, the Wilder that was aggressive as well as adding on legitimate boxing fundamentals because it's inexcusable now. It's ridiculous now. It's ridiculous now. Because we were all expecting you to beat Joseph Parker. You can, and we know Joseph Parker's legit. And now you lost to Joseph Parker? This is not disrespect to Joseph Parker. This is disrespect to Wilder. In the fashion that you lost, dare I say you're not a top five heavyweight. Fury? Hey, uh, excuse me. From my list, Usyk, Fury, AJ, after this performance, and if it keeps up, AJ, Big Bang Zhang, and Joseph Parker. Joseph Parker took your spot. He did. Joseph Parker, you were in the top five. And Parker ripped that away from you. Joe Joyce is a better boxer than you. And we know how bad he is. We know this. I covered it. As bad as he was against Big Bang Zhang. He's a better boxer than you. Everybody's a better boxer than you. But now in terms of who we should see as the top of the top. Yes, you didn't have the best boxing acumen. We understood that. But your production was undeniable. Now, not only has your production waned, but the very fighter that you are has changed for the worse. So now we can't overlook your lack of boxing ability anymore. Because it was, or he'll catch you at any point in time. Now, you're not even good at catching somebody at any point in time. Again, you had mastered, I've said it, you mastered the art of the one-two. Getting range, finding range, and finding the, the slimmest of openings and capitalizing on it at the precise moment. Mastered that. Now that skill set is rusted. Now that skill set has gone away, seemingly with this fight. So we can't use that anymore. And I hate it because we love your heart. We love your tenacity. We love your drive, your will. You got more dog than just about everybody in the division. You are about that life when it comes to saying, I want to fight and I'm going to give it everything I got. There ain't nothing you can do to stop me from doing what I need to do. Because I, I don't care how many times I get knocked down. I'm relentless. That was you and Deontay Wilder. And that was unmistakable. And that same mentality was what got you to a title, what made you one of the best heavyweights in the world, what made you a over, I believe over, 10-time defending champion, 
What made people say you could beat AJ and knock out AJ? What made people say that you can regroup and become heavyweight champion again? What made people say he'll be back? Now, you'll still be back if you're, if you're Deontay Wilder. You'll, he'll be back. It's just the fact that now, all of that, he's got to build it back up in my eyes. Because this Deontay Wilder is utterly ridiculous. Absolute shambles of a fighter. Because he's, he's got less than nothing in boxing ability now. Less than nothing when it comes to his boxing ability. It used to be he had nothing. Okay, fine. Now he's got less than that. Because what he did have was a style that fit his ability. Now that style's gone. He's fighting in the complete opposite of what he needs to. Again, I thought how he fought against Robert Elanius was just a, a, a one-time thing to show that he can do it. Not something that is now his fundamental style that he fought for an entire 12-round fight. Notice that when he came forward in round 12, he was actually having some success. He put some pressure on Parker. Parker started making some mistakes. Not many, but he started making some mistakes. You saw something start to change, but it was too little too late at that point. It's like, why? There's no point anymore. Yet, any point in time, he can knock somebody out. True. But, brother, you could have done that. You could have fought aggressively four rounds ago. Shoot, 12 rounds ago. You could have implemented that first trying to counterpunch style for the first three rounds. After that wasn't working, now you start coming forward. Round four and on. You bring the pain. You bring the pressure. You bring the fight. Not the fight get brought to you. This was abysmal. This was horrible. This was terrible. This was idiotic, moronic on the side of Deontay Wilder. Shame. That's what this is. An outright shame. You failed yourself. You failed your fans. And like, it's just going out sad. Literally going out sad. That's all I can say. It's going out sad. Horrendously bad. That's what this was. It was horrendously bad. You fought completely different from what you are. This is not the bronze bomber. This is not the bronze bomber. This was not the bronze bomber that we know and love. This was a bronze statue. Standing there representing what should be the most lethal force in boxing. But it can't actually do anything. Just like the statue that you got. It represents somebody who was a killer and somebody who was willing to, again, give everything he's got in the ring. But that statue can't do nothing. That's what Wilder was in this fight. A statue. A floating statue. Moved around the ring, but didn't look nearly as Wilder-like. Not, not, not nearly as committed. Not nearly as anxious. Not nearly as wanting to make this fight something. And that brings it to the next point of the show. 
we and when it comes to promoters. Hey, look at this. We got the problems here. We got some problems here. We got problems. We got major problems. Cause we have major problems when it comes to this fight in particular. This whole night was supposed to set up Wilder, AJ. And now it's not happening anymore. And it's a testament to why we as boxing fans, why I continue to say, boxing fans need to make, not fans, promoters need to make stuff happen. I'm sorry, you got to make stuff happen. This can't be anymore. We can't keep living and trying to build up, build up, wait, wait, wait on these fights to become big paydays. Every fight ain't Floyd Pacquiao. Floyd Pacquiao should have happened five years before it actually did. When both of them were still in the relative prime. Or he's closer to it. Shoot, it should have happened seven years before. We're being in all honesty. But it built it, built it, built it. Became the most bought, bought fight in boxing history, I believe. Great. Now they're trying to do that on a consistent basis. And now look at what happened. A big money made payday. Ready to be cashed in on. It could have been cashed in on a while ago. Now, done away with it. No more. No longer. Nobody wants to see that fight. We don't want to see that fight anymore. Now, at least not, not nearly to the degree that we used to. That fight is dead. It's dead. Not just because Wilder didn't live up to the contract or live up to his part of the bargain of winning and then this fight happened next. But outright, it's lost interest. It has lost interest. This fight has lost interest from the fans. I don't want to see that fight anymore. And if I do, it's only just to get it over with. Okay, and make it happen. And then boom, be done with it. So we can stop saying, Willie, won't he? Who's better? Who's not better? All this stuff. Bump that. Just get it over with at this point. Charge us $10 for it. In fact, put it on regular cheap at this point in time. Because right now, I don't know if I pay to see it. Is that harsh? Yes, it is. Is it justifiable? Yes, it is. This, you, promoters, and to a degree, the fighters, waited to make this fight too long. There's, oh, he said, she said, we can go on both sides of the aisle. Did Wilder hold it up? Did AJ hold it up? Who ran from who? They accused AJ of running in the press conferences. Wilder saying he wants the fight to happen and he hopes AJ will make the fight happen soon. Again, it was reportedly agreed upon it was going to happen after this night. It both hold, held up the end of the bargain. But look at it now. It's dead. And this is why we say go on and make the fights happen. If he's right there as a contender, you go fight him. Plain and simple. Don't make us wait. Don't make us see you at your worst before now. Oh, we got to make this fight happen. Oh, we got to now cash in now. Oh, we we got to we got to we got to scramble to try to get this thing together. No. Go on and make it happen. And then if you lose, okay, you lose. Get back on your horse. Ride better and circle back around for a rematch. That's it. That's literally it. How do you think trilogies get made? Pacquiao versus Juan Manuel Marquez. Constantly. Timothy Bradley versus Pacquiao. 
Ali Frazier. We can, we, what the world? Gotti Ward. These types of fights are things that like Max Schmeling versus Joe Lewis. I believe it was Max Schmeling versus Joe Lewis. Yeah. Did they fight twice? Did they fight twice or once? I can't remember. Either way. The fights that reoccur. The fights that happen. Hagler Hearns. Not Hagler Hearns. Excuse me. Hagler Leonard. Not Hagler Leonard. Excuse me. I'm so sorry. Hearns Leonard. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Not <laughs> Hagler Leonard. <laughs> Marvin Hagler Tommy Hearns. Fought, I believe, once. Hearns versus Leonard happened twice. That's what I meant. Hearns versus Leonard happened twice. These types of fights are things that if you go on and make it happen, you can, we will love to see it. Just get these fights happening when these fighters are at their prime. That's the whole gist of it. Get the fights happening when the fights are at their prime. So we don't run into this. Well, all of a sudden now all the gas is let out the building. All the hype is now dead in the water. All the anticipation is now gone. Because that's what this is. We don't want to see Wilder and AJ anymore. Everybody's saying, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, AJ probably beats him now. And again, it's not because, it's not just because of the loss. It's because of how he lost. If Wilder fought like Wilder and just got caught playing and got knocked out, we're having a completely different conversation. Even with the loss, we're having a completely different conversation. If Wilder fought like Wilder, the Wilder that we know, and still got knocked out, we're still having a different conversation. Well, he got caught. So now we know that he can't be caught by AJ. However, it's still a question of will AJ be able to take his power? Now, this can, we're having a conversation that is, in reality, AJ's gotten over his problems, has evolved into a fighter, and is close to as close to what he used to be as he's ever been, which is phenomenal. Confidence skyrocketed through the roof. He looks outright in control of himself and in control of his abilities, and boom, can run it and do whatever he wants to do. If he fought, if he fought against this Wilder, oh, he probably cleans him out. Even with Wilder's power. We know Wilder can't catch him, but nah. This Wilder doesn't have it. An indistinguishable facet of oneself. That's what we're saying. And it's a shame. It's a downright shame. We've waited this fight out too long. Now it's done. Now it's done. Interest is kaput. People will probably still see it. But then with the same anticipation or drive to say, yeah, I made this fight happen. Now it's oh, okay. Alright, yeah. You know, we'll see it, but just get it done. Get, have it, have it go. Just make it happen. Don't, but get it over with. That's what this is. It's a crying shame. Should be a message to every other promoter, fighter, anybody. 
make the fights that you want to happen happen when they're at their prime. Don't wait. Because if you wait, you run into a situation where you now are potentially you ran it too long. The horse rode for too long and now the horse is dead. That's what's happening. And we don't want to see that happen for the, for the rest of the premier fights that we want to see around the boxing ethos. Good gosh, hopefully that don't happen no more. Hopefully, good gosh, that don't happen no more. Also, covering the world of boxing with what we had on last night, if you were rather last morning, if you woke up Tuesday morning at 6 o'clock. No, yeah, anyway, the monster himself has now become a two-time undisputed champion bantamweight and super bantamweight this brother knocked out Tapales in round 10 in a fight that was phenomenal to watch my goodness that would get you some coffee if you were up in the morning for that fight this fight was it was it was great it was a great fight all around showed in a way's full arsenal of ability and gave Tapales much respect because he fought better than any of us gave him credit for myself included for that fight I didn't get to predict the fight, but I was. But if I did, I was going to predict anyway wins by KO. That's what I had in the back of my mind, and I said it was going to be early. But no, 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 no. That fight ended up happening, and it, it he won. But it was some work. It was some work. Now he dominated every round. Yes, he did. And outside of round, or was it round? Uh, was it ten? It was it round nine or ten? One of the later rounds, he did lose because the Palace was. Was putting in some serious stuff. But for the most part, anyway, fought phenomenal. Gage distance well, was able to move in and out. His jab was as sharp as ever. Going to the body just like he did against Seven Fulton. Was countering to Paulus all night long. Was his speed was incredible. His power was phenomenal. Thudding shots all night long. Opened up on Tapalas when he thought he had him hurt. Knocked him down early, I believe, in round three. And it seemed like it was going to be a fight that, hey, in a way, just handles business, moves up, and puts in work. Plain and simple. But then what we saw would tell the story of this whole fight. This fight was three fights in one. First three rounds. In a way, doing what he did. Domination by Inouye. Master class in boxing and full display of his arsenal and power. Then, after round four or five, adaptation from Topolis, leading to jabs getting through Inouye's guard, hooks around Inouye's guard, and turning this fight into an outright infighting war. From what is it, rounds four to like seven? My goodness. You want to talk about entertaining. But after that, Topolis knocked down. Topolis said, okay, all right, change his style. And they stood in the ring, head to head, and just started going. And uh, This was infighting like we used to see in the 70s, in the 60s, in the 50s. You standing in the middle, both of y'all are right there. Guards up, and you finding angles. Uppercuts, hooks, hooks, hooks to the body, hooks to the head. Trades, consistently. Not moving an inch. That's what this fight was in the mid-half of the, of, the, of the fight. It turned into an outright infighting war. 
And it was so spectacular to see. Topolis was landing big shots on anyway around his guard as he stood in the middle of the ring. Consistently. Walk right hand. Walk right hand. Excuse me. Left hand because he's a southpaw. My apology. Left hands around the guard. Uppercuts through the guard. Anyway, trading right back. Landing combination shots to the body into the head. Thudding shots. It was just nobody was budging. It was so spectacular. I have been telling you all. These fighters in these lower weight classes, they go to war. You all just don't know them because they're not Tank Davis. They're not Ryan Garcia. They're not Alexander Usyk. They're not Tyson Fury. They're not big names, quote unquote, only because they fight over in other countries. These people in these lower weight classes can crack, can pop. This was a fight. This was a real fight. And I mean, every time Inouye seemingly was going to have the upper hand, Topolis kept coming back and showing new facets of his game that made Inouye have to really think. Inouye was having a real time against a real fighter. It was adaptation to adaptation. Again, this is not saying Inouye was struggling. I'm saying Inouye had to legitimately put his best out there. That's not to say that he was overwhelmed or, oh my gosh, no. This was a performance of incredible proportions in terms of what they both did as boxers. Inouye had to use his fullest arsenal against a game fighter that everybody underestimated but should have had a lot more respect for myself included. But to keep back on track about the fight, infighting, uppercuts and hooks from both fighters, standing in the middle of the ring, thudding, not moving an inch, consistently walking each other down, forcing each other to say, you're going to feel my power. Consistently. It was great. And then in the later rounds, or rather, in, as that infighting kept going, when they would exit, Topolis would start landing that jab through the guard. Started landing hooks and uppercuts even outside of infighting around anyway. Catching him clean. Caught him very clean at one point with a hook that was like, oh, shoot, wait a minute. That was one of the biggest shots I've seen anyway ever take. He, he landed the biggest shot I've seen Inouye take since Nonito Donaire in their first fight that was fight of the year in that Super Series where he, his name got put on the map and he won the title. That was the biggest shot I've seen him take since that fight. Just a testament to his disciplined defensive acumen. But even still, Topolis was finding holes. While Inouye was fighting defensively phenomenal, stepping in and out, jumping in and out. Hopping like, I mean, just almost teleporting. It was so smooth. His ability just, he was able to slip punches by the skin of his nose consistently all night long. Slipping left and right by mere inches. Again, his depth perception and distance management is phenomenal. Stepping back without stepping back. Or, or rather, scooting back without having to hop back to evade shots. Rebounding off the ropes to then slip under, it was phenomenal. But again, Inouye had to do everything against Mar uh, uh, Marlon Topolis. And Topolis was game all up until, I believe, that 10th round. When Inouye caught him with a 1-2, and then caught him with another 1-2. And the first 1-2 was blocked. Second 1-2 caught him right on the temple. Right on the temple. Right at the edge of your brow. Where it's just like it's almost like a corner. Caught him right there. Boom. Delayed reaction. Topolis finally goes down. And then Topolis, he couldn't get up. Now you think it was hurt until he until it was like it was like his body slowly shut down. 
like a computer. When he tried to reboot, he, he just couldn't do it. Credit, again, credit to Topolis. This brother gets gang, my respect, 10 times over. My goodness. That, that's, a, that's, a, that's a dog. That's a dog, Marlon Topolis. But in a way, came out on top and has now done something I never thought I would see in my lifetime. Became undisputed in two divisions in one year. One year. There's a reason why we've been saying this, but it's, it's, it's again, since Terrence Crawford beat Errol Spence in such a dominant fashion, the second best fighter in all the world. But now, after this performance, and with this accomplishment of becoming two-time undisputed, of cleaning out every division, or both divisions, which can be so he still has people to fight at Superbantamweight, but in terms of cleaning out, super, cleaning out Bantamweight, becoming undisputed, Moving up to super bantamweight, fighting Stephen Fulton, knocking him out, absolutely outclassing him, and then taking on Marlon Topolis, who put up a better fight than Stephen Fulton. Wasn't scared, wasn't running, got into the thick of it. In fact, he was wary of the power in the first three rounds of the fight. And then he made that fight into a dog fight. He initiated going on the inside and made it, in any way, obliged. And next thing you know, boom, this turned into a real fight. He got over that fear of what's coming at him and just went for it. Technically was phenomenal. Techniques kept on adapting, making any way have to have to change and evolve mid-fight the whole time. It was phenomenal. A great chess match between two phenomenal fighters. And after, after overcoming both of these challenges and being undisputed champion at Super Bantamweight, accomplishing both of those in less than 12 months, there's nothing I can say. There's nothing I can say except for he is the best boxer in the world. He is. As of right now, his resume is better. His accolades are better. His, the names that he's fought have all been legitimate and dangerous. And he's conquered them all. Has done absolute... He's, 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 we have to understand what we're looking at when we talk about Neoya anyway. We have to understand exactly what we're seeing when we talk about Neoya anyway. We are not seeing just a great fighter. We are seeing a potential icon in the making. And this further cements it. 26 fights, 23 KOs. Some of the best footwork, technical soundness, a phenomenal chin, power, unlike anybody else in not just this division, but arguably of any division in boxing today. Pound for pound, one of the hardest hitters. Pound for pound, one of the smartest fighters. Pound for pound has perfected nearly every aspect of this sport. One of the best, has evolved into one of the best defensive fighters in the game. Has been the best offensive fighter in the game. Yes, he even better than Terrence Crawford. Even better than Javante Tank Davis. Even better than, than an evolved Devin Haney. Better than a prime Teofimo Lopez. Better than Usyk. We can keep going down the list. Better than all of them is elite in every single category. 
so confident that he's, he will showboat in the middle of the ring in round three. Then he did it against Apollos as well. And invited the fight to get harder. Toughness amongst some of the best. Adaptability amongst some of the best in the world today. I don't know what else you can say about this man. It's sublime. He is sublime. And Maul, and again, I'm young, so excuse me. Maybe you don't agree. That's fine. But in all my time jumping into the sport, studying the greats, looking at what made Hall of Famers and icons so adept and so head and shoulders above the rest, this brother's got that same ilk to him. He's got it on him. It's a, he's, he, it's a cloak of greatness. It's a robe of superiority. It is a crown of legendary status. He has shown and consistently shows this man is just, he, he, he's something different opposed to anybody else in the sport. Opposed to anybody else in the sport. There is something different about this brother. He's got the he's got the real ability to be a Pacquiao. He's got the ability to be on the level of somebody like a Sugar Ray Leonard. He's got the ability to be on the level of somebody like a Marvin Hagler. He's got the ability to be of one of these greats. Legitimately. I put Terrence Crawford of that same caliber because once he beat Spence, boom, that was the last accomplishment necessary to say, and how we beat him? My gosh, it showed, and the what he showed in that win. It, it, it gave you the feeling of, okay, wait a minute, we have to start having conversations about this man, Terrence Crawford, in a different light. We have to transcend what he is in today's generation. That's what we have to talk about anyway. If you don't know, look him up. Watch him. Study him. And appreciate him. And stop all this stuff about, oh, he could, he could, Tank's going to knock him out. Tank will knock him out. Da -da 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 -da, all this, that, and the third. Bump all that. Anyway, it's 122. Tank's 135. Tank won't even move up five pounds to go fight. Or theoretically, won't go up and move five pounds to go fight the best of the best that have all moved up and evolved. Most of them anyway. Once they got the extra weight, seeing as he's fought at 140 before, but that's another conversation altogether. But say what you want about who you think would win in terms of if they got in the ring right now. Because we weight classes mean something. Again, we can argue Devin Haney is a better boxer than about every heavyweight. But you put him in the ring with that, he's going to get knocked out. It's plain and simple. Come on, don't be stupid. You notice, weight classes mean something. But if way was put, was able to be transformed into Tank's weight class, he would knock out Tank Davis. Confidently, I can say that. In any other weight 
class you can think of, you put him in, and you can morph his body to fit that weight class, he knocks, every, he beats everybody. He beat, um, he beats everybody. He does. Just like I can say, he be, he beats Terrence Crawford if they fought against each other. That would be a fight to behold if it could actually happen. It can't, but if it could, perfect world. And you can morph in a way to fit any weight class. Have Crawford and in a way fight against each other at 154 or at 147. I pick in a way to beat him. In a way is the best fighter in the world today. There is no boxer today that has the same that has the complete package of not just outright talent, but discipline, power, speed, skill, adaptability. Defensive soundness and toughness, all wrapped in one. No, no boxer today has it to that extent as Noah anyway. That brother is the best fighter in the world. He's the best in the world. He, he, he is the best in the world, especially with this accomplishment. Only the second man ever to do it. Only the second brother ever to do it. And if we're being completely honest, he could have done it. He could have done it while holding the other belts if he wanted to. I think he's that great. I think he's that great. We've seen champions of the past way back do that exact same thing. Have a title in mind. Who was it? Was it um was it um Henry Armstrong? Who was a champion in like three weight classes at the same time? It was Ezra Charles, one of the two. I believe it was Henry Armstrong. I could be wrong. Correct me if I'm wrong. But I believe Henry Armstrong held was a title holder in multiple weight classes all at the same time and defended them all at the same time. Anyway can do that. Anyway has that same it factor. He could do that same thing. He's, it's, he's insane. This brother's insane. He is a sight to behold. He is something to be cherished and something to be respected. He is a brother who can beat anybody pound for pound. King of the boxing world right now. Absolutely. Again, it's just phenomenal. It's just beauty. It's beauty and grace to watch. And he does it so effortlessly. This man beats Terrence Crawford. He beats Tank Davis. He beats every great fighter today. And if this keeps going up, we're going to have to start comparing him to some of the greatest to ever do it. We're going to have to. Because it's not, yes, he's only got 26 wins. 26 fights, excuse me. In his pro career. We're understanding that some of the greats, again, Pacquiao had 60-something. Henry Armstrong had like 90 or 70, something like that. Sugar Ray Robinson had 100 and something. George Joe Walcott. We can go on and on and on. But all these big names. that Salvador Sanchez. We can keep going. About names that were phenomenal. Was there a brother named Nakatani? Way back. That was in the same division as Noah. Anyway, I can't remember. There's some phenomenal great boxer. I just can't remember his name right now. That was one of the greatest uh, bantamweights, super bantamweights in history. I forget his name. It's, it's eluding me. But point still stands. Of these great greats, we understand that he's only fought 
not nearly as much. But it's the fact that he's accomplished so much in such a short amount of time. Such a short amount of time. It's been, it's out the gate. This brother's been moving, moving, winning, winning, dominating, dominating. Out from the jump. From the jump. Again, Canelo, right now, as in terms of popularity, phenomenal. Accolades are phenomenal. 60 fights, 60 plus fights until he got to that point. We can compare Noya Inouye's resume to his and it's only 26 fights. It's phenomenal. And he's done, again, the, some of the biggest of those accomplishments, or excuse me, the biggest of those accomplishments, undisputed, and then undisputed again, came within a year. One year. It's insane. It's ridiculous. It's, it, it is ridiculous. Not only is he pound for pound number one, he might be fighter, you know, he is fighter of the year for me. If people were putting out breaks, he's fighter of the year for me. This man, Noah, anyway, is making a fast track to be talked about as one of the greatest ever in this sport. Ever. Legitimately. And you may hate me, you may love me. I don't care. This is the reality. I'm not comparing him to the talent. But in terms of what I see semblances of, Roy Jones Jr. at his prime. There was a point in time when Roy Jones Jr. ruled the 90s. Was seen as one of the greatest, and in my opinion, the greatest outright talent I've seen in boxing history. The greatest outright talent, just innately in him. Greatest I've ever seen. He's not the greatest. But he, in terms of what he has in his arsenal, nobody had what he had at his disposal. Nobody. It was insane. The amount of, he could do everything wrong and it still come out right. He could do everything off and still it was insane. He could do everything off rhythm, out of beat, wrong. That's just called it what it is. He could do everything wrong and it still came out pure as gold. It's an insane ability. Noya Inouye has some of that in him. The difference is he's more committed to the fundamentals. Not saying that Roy Jones Jr. wasn't didn't master the fundamentals again because it was uh, because because of what he was able to do. It was only because he mastered the fundamentals. So we understand that. But just in their fighting style, I see semblances of it, of just even if you watch this fight, even some of the angles that he was able to catch the Paulus on, the way that he knocked out Stephen Fulton looked eerily similar to, to, to some degree the way that Roy Jones knocked down James Tony or knocked out a bunch of his other opponents. It, it, there's something different about this man that's putting him on, that, on the road to be of that same pedestal to be on that same pedestal, to be seen and held in that same esteem as people like Roy Jones Jr., as people like Pacquiao, 
past people like other dominant champions of the past. His technical ability is so sharp, precise. It's, again, he's got a snappiness to him that no other boxer has. That I've seen in today's generation and very few of past generations have. A, a snap is a sharpness to him that people just, it's just uncommon. It's not, it's eerie. It's eerie. It's like he was built to fight. This ain't hype. We can't hype this man up anymore. We're talking about now, legacy is being made. A road, a golden road is being paved in front of this man as to what he can be and what he can be. He's one of the greatest to ever touch this sport. One of the greatest to ever touch this sport. He's got that in him. He's got that tone. And he's still got so much that he can achieve. Talking about how he, he's going to stay at, now talking about he's going to stay at bantamweight or super bantamweight and wants to fight some more. I mean, what, what's his name? A guy named Neary, I believe. He's going to fight. Very game competitor. I'm, I, I, I didn't want to say it wrong. That's why I said the name like that. Sometimes I don't want to be disrespectful in how I pronounce things. We do everything professional over here. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't think he's going to stay there for long. Because I've talked about this before. He's got the ability and he's fought ex exhibitions before at 135. Yeah, I don't want to move it too fast to get there. We could see this brother do the same thing that we saw Pacquiao do potentially. And keep on moving up all the way to 140. Potentially. Potentially, we can see him get to that same level. It's not out the question anymore. It's not. His technical ability is so profound that even if his power does not carry, still, he's got enough skills to still outbox most people in any division. And he's fought and beaten every single type of style. Pressure fighter, counterpuncher, brawler. Pot shotter, distance rider, a slipper, a guy that wants to walk you down. He's fought every single style. Somebody that's weak to the body, somebody that's weak to the head, somebody that can crack, somebody that can adapt. He's faced them all and beat them all in easy fashion. It's, I'm telling you, man, this, we're looking at an all-time great unfolding in front of our eyes. And I'm not going to sit here and let that go by the wayside. We're not going to do what some people did with LeBron all those years when he was dominating the league and hate and give caveats and say, oh, what if, oh, he's not, da-da-da-da-da. We ain't doing that. We're just going to knock down the accolades and we're going to elevate his status all time as is appropriate as his career unfolds. It's just plain and simple. It ain't hard. It's not difficult. That's all we're going to do. As he continues to grow, we're going to continue to put him exactly where he deserves to be. And the greater he is, the greater he's going to be seen. It's plain and simple. It's not difficult. It's not difficult. Y'all don't get hurt. Oh, because oh, you said he's better than so-and-so or you said he's better than Tank. Okay, fine. He's better than Tank. Great. Do something about it. Just tell him to do something about it. Tell him to go get a title. 
Tell them to go become undisputed. Tell him to fight the biggest of the baddest back to back to back to back. Tell him to do more. It's just plain and simple. Tank's had more. Tank has so many fights under his belt, and yet anyway, he's accomplished more in less time. That's just irrefutable. And that division's laden with legitimate boxers. Legitimate talents. Not just respected. No, good. Outright good. Again, most of y'all, myself included, didn't know Topolis. And look at what happened. Topolis showed, yeah, this brother belonged in the ring with anyway. It just, anyway, was just, it just, it's just that great. The fact that we're saying somebody was able to adapt and give anyway, it made him think. That's a testament to Topolis' skill. But a more, even bigger testament to the fact that if somebody gives, in a way, any level of resistance, brother, we give them, we give them regards. We give them respect because that's uncommon. He's got that type of aura to him, that type of legacy to him right now. And he's only done it in 26 fights. This is, we can't, we have to hold people accountable when it comes to the world of boxing. We have to hold people accountable when it comes to how we grade their legacy properly. And we have to hold people accountable when it comes to their ability to actually reach all-time great level status. Because it can't just be, it can't be that it's just, it is what it is. Oh, they're great. Yes. Put them as the best, the best in the world. No. No. Javante Tank Davis 29 and 0 still has, is, has accomplished less than what we've seen in a way do. It's insane. For anybody, not just Tank, anybody, you've got to, if you want to be seen as of that same caliber, you've got to put in the work. Anyway, put in the work. Quickly. Quickly, he put in the work. Beat the best that you said couldn't be beaten. Overcame every obstacle with ease. Every pundit that said that somebody was going to be too much for him, again, step and fault. Put him in the dirt with ease. Everybody that people said we're giving away a tough time did it with ease. And everybody that they said we're giving him a, good, a tough time were people that were seen as, okay, this brother can, he's, this is for real. This is for real. He's playing this simple. Noya anyway is the best boxer in the world. There is no dispute. There is no differentiation. There's no debate as of right now. Next year again, the list can change, absolutely. But as of right now, with what he accomplished in the immediate, coupled with the performance, coupled with the track, coupled with the talent and his ability. He's the best in the world. He is the best in the world. And there is nobody else except for the monster, Noya Inouye, king of the monsters, to quote Godzilla. King of the monsters. That's what he is. Of every major monster in the boxing world today, he is the king of all. And he's the smallest out of all. He is the king of monsters in boxing. The head honcho. Pound for pound, number one. The biggest threat to everybody. 
the most dominant force in boxing today is Noah in a way. It's just plain and simple. You don't have to like it. And hey, if you say it's not, if you, if some people say that pound for pound lists are, uh, what's the word? What's the word? Subjective. And they are. They absolutely are. They are. They are subjective. Everybody can have their own. But there's a consensus of who should be seen in that same caliber, who should be even in a conversation. That is irrefutable. There's a consensus of who should be in that category. You, 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 can't, you can't fake that. You can, you can subject who, who, where they are. You can't subject who's in there. Because that's just outright production. That's what they show in the ring. And what they accomplish puts them in that category. So since that's the case, that is not subjective. But where you put them can absolutely be subjective. But for me, it's not subjective for me. It is concrete for me. Not for you. It's fine. You have your own list. It's absolutely great. But for me, pound for pound, Noya anyway is the definitive number one best boxer in the world. And you there's no debate you can put for me that can put him at that can lower. You just can't. You just can't. After this accomplishment, coupled with everything else that he has at his at his disposal, there's no way you can put him not at number one in my eyes. For me, he's the best boxer in the world. And there's no other. There's no other. It's him, Crawford, everybody else. Crawford two or Noya one, Crawford two, everybody else. There's a gap in everybody else. It's just the truth for me. It's the truth for me. Put in the comments who you feel. Absolutely, I would love to hear. Love to bench. Love to go back and forth with you. Absolutely. But for me, it's got to be Noya anyway. Now transitioning into the world of the NBA, moving out of the world of boxing, we yet again have to talk about, well, first very quickly, before we get into Kevin Durant, good gosh, Detroit. Oh, Lord. Oh, I've never seen something so bad in my life. I've never seen a streak this bad after, since I've been following sports this bad in my life. Detroit's lost 27 games in a row. On track to have potentially the worst year ever in the history, history of NBA basketball. I believe they're about to, they've, they've had the most consecutive losses in a single season. But in terms of consecutive losses all time, I believe they are two wins away. Because again, I forget which team it was. It might have even been Detroit. Or it could have been Philly. Or it could have been Cleveland. When all three of those teams were terrible. But one of those teams lost in terms of calendar year. From, la- from the last season until the next season. A combined 29 games in a row. We could see that happen with Detroit in this season. And Kate Cunningham, for the last five games, has been putting up 31 points. Has been one of the best scorers in the NBA. Put up 40 in this loss. Did, huh, my goodness. Was it 49-5? and five? Or excuse me, 41-9-5 in that last loss against the Brooklyn Nets. This team is just laughable. It's historically bad. I tuned in to see this loss just to witness history. 
It's ridiculous. And what makes it worse is the fact that Detroit is not trying to lose. They came out this offseason, or this season, saying they want to make the play-in. This isn't like Cleveland after LeBron left, rightfully so, because they didn't have the talent necessary and weren't bringing in anybody to actually make that team be able to get over the hump of the Boston Celtics or anybody for that matter. Drug that team to kingdom come, saying, you know what, all right, I'm out. I'm going to use my power and get where I actually need to be in order to actually compete. Went to Miami. After that, they lost 26 games in a row. And had an abysmal record, rightfully so. LeBron made that team. And LeBron, thankfully, broke that team because that team was terrible. He was the only one riding the ship. And they failed abysmally. Sixers sucked. Trust the process. Bunch of years, they were terrible. Wasted a couple of years of equal dollar. And they were tanking the kingdom come. And with the vision of what they got now with Joel Embiid. What they had with Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons. What they thought they were going to have with Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons, and Markel Falls. But you see the product. Now you got an MVP. Potentially leading MVP candidate again with Joel Embiid playing phenomenally. Averaging, what, 35? Has averaged 40 over the last five games? One of the best offenses in the league. One of the best teams in the East. They're fun. They're great. They're great. But they had a vision of failing in order to succeed afterwards. Take your losses and take your bumps in order to get to the end goal. That's not what Detroit's doing. Detroit is trying actively to win. They just suck so bad. So bad. And it's a roster that looks like they should be better than this. I think Kane was the one that said they should. They are not a two-win at that point in time. 26-win team. They don't look like it on paper. Even Killian Hayes has been playing respect. Is Killian Hayes on that team? I can't remember. I could be wrong. But it ain't like, again, you got somebody putting up 40 on your team. You shouldn't be this bad. Even bad teams who've had somebody that's had this great of a stretch of runs in a game, they are not this abysmal. Yet they keep finding ways to lose. Even when, even when, even when winning is within their grasp, on the cusp, on the, at their fingertips, baskets away, they still falter and flounder. It's just, it's a conundrum. It's a conundrum of outright being a bum. They're not even trying to be bums. They just play, they're playing like it. But their roster says they shouldn't be this bad. They shouldn't be this bummy, but they are. It's 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 almost shocking. And it's it's sad. Detroit's in turmoil. My goodness. My goodness. And again, relatively, people don't care about Detroit because of how bad they've been. We understand that they that again, now they're gonna they're gonna have to tank. They're forced to tank now. What are you gonna do? Try to win at this point in time? My goodness. It's like you're already trying and you're, and you're failing. You might as well keep on riding the ship and wait for another draft pick and, and try to retool your roster next season. Maybe this Monty Williams. Maybe this a coach. And he's supposed to be a good coach. I like him. It's just what the world. Detroit. It's, it's, a, it's a conundrum that I just can't figure out. I just know that I'm in awe of how bad it is. I'm... Um, Shoot, 
you almost want to say, hey, I'm sorry. <laughs> you almost want to say, I'm sorry. Because it's like, we know you're not trying to lose. But you you are. And, and you feel bad. You do. Because it's like, we know this is not your mentality. I hate when people just tank and try to intentionally lose. We don't like it. We want to see competitive basketball. Y'all are trying to play competitive basketball. But you can't. Because you suck. Your roster isn't even built to tank this bad. But it is. It's like, it's just, it's insane. Will they get to 29? Will they get to 30? Will they get above 10 wins in the season? We have to legitimately ask it. We have to legitimately ask. Will they get to 10 wins in the season? Can they get to 10 wins by the All-Star break? Good gosh. Weird. Ooh. It's a... Can they get to five wins by the All-Star break? It's it's just sad. It's just sad all around. But from a situation that wasn't sad and is sad to a situation that is sad and shouldn't be sad is Kevin Durant and the Phoenix Suns. Final topic for the show. Kevin Durant and the Phoenix Suns have been playing well under what they needed to be. 14 and 15 on the year. Bradley Bill's out. Katie and Booker have, have not been able to take this team to the heights that they thought they would be. And Kevin Durant is upset. Reports are saying that Kevin Durant has been told, it's been validated. Kevin Durant has essentially, they can feel Kevin Durant's frustration. He is mad about the situation. Kevin Durant is frustrated with, San, with Phoenix. Not, not San Antonio. He's frustrated with Phoenix. He's frustrated with the squad. He's frustrated with their mediocrity. He's frustrated they are under 500. He's frustrated that they have not gotten where they need to be. And again, I love the sound. But in Phoenix, hey, look at this. We got the problems here. We got some problems here. We got some problems. We have problems. There are problems in Phoenix. But should we be surprised? No, we shouldn't. Kevin Durant should be mad. Let me say that first. Kevin Durant should be mad with how much he's been balling. 30, what is it, 30, 30 points. In fact, I got it right here. 35 and 6, 50, almost 50, 40, 90. 50% from the field, 46, about 47% from three. 87% from the free throw line. No, he's, he's been playing some of his best ball, plain and simple. Yeah, 30 points, 6.2 rebounds, 5.5 assists, 51% from the field, 47% from three, excuse me. 87% from the free throw line. Wasn't putting up numbers to the front and center. Some of the best offensive balls he's ever played in his career. Great. He's playing like that and they're still under 500. It's, it's a business. I'd be frustrated too. Because I'm playing my heart out. And it's still not amounting to anything. Absolutely. I would be mad. So I get it from that perspective. But I also say you can't be mad. You really can't. You have a right to be, but you shouldn't be. Because this is what you signed up for if you're Kevin Durant. What do I mean? You are part of a deal that took all of the cap space out of this Phoenix Sun squad. And relegated it to, if any of you all are out, this team is done. They have no hope of actually competing. If all of y'all are healthy, Hey, y'all got a shot at winning a title. That was what was coming into it. That's why I say at the start of the year. And look at what happened. This was my very concern. You spent so much money on the three of them. KD, Booker, and Beal. 
all your money went to them. No money for a two point, was it? Was it 3.3 or 2.3 million dollars left at your disposal to actually spend? Might have been 5.5. It was around 5 million, 3 million, or 2 million that you had after you paid Booker, Beal, and KD to all be on the team. You had about $5 million or under to actually make moves and fill out the rest of that roster. And you got Eric Gordon, Jop, Eubanks, and a bunch of other role players that most likely would be on the bench and not coming off for most teams. Now you got them either running with your starting lineup or coming off the bench as your core of your rotation. This is not a surprise because you don't have any depth at all. No means to actually fill out or match up against other opponents. You can't do it. And offensively, it's not saving you. This isn't like with Brooklyn. Or excuse me, you wanted this to be the perfect version of Brooklyn when you had Katie, Harden, and Kyrie and one of the most potent offenses that we had seen in the history of basketball for a brief point in time. When y'all were clicking, y'all were scary. But then, injury, COVID, bunch of other outside stuff, floundered and fell under expectations. And then James Harden left. Floundered more and more. Hey, hey you almost beat the Bucks. I'll give you that. You almost beat the Bucks. A foot on a, a foot, you were literally a foot away from beating the Bucks, but it didn't happen. This is a this is what we were afraid of. You can't expect anything else. The Suns gave up everything to give to KD, Beal, and Booker. And now Beal is hurt. Beal is out. We don't know when he's he's not timetable for him coming back isn't until January next year. Kevin Durant's been playing phenomenal. Booker is doing the best he can, but still, it's not enough. And they don't have any pieces. And this is what KD wanted. And even when Beal is healthy and out on the floor, he's putting up Eric Gordon numbers. Literally. He's putting up like 14.7. Eric Gordon's putting up 13.3. About around that range. It is not, no, it's not great. It's not good. Even your third best star is putting up bench roll numbers. Putting up Aaron Gordon numbers when you're getting paid as much as Bill is getting paid. Ridiculous. Ridiculous. It's a shame. It's a travesty. But it's what Kevin Durant and the Phoenix, Phoenix Suns signed up for. This is the threat that you said you were willing to call a bluff on. This is the in-game cold red situation that you said we'll take a chance on. We'll risk potentially it all falling and blowing up in front of our face. We'll risk it. We'll risk having a dominant three and nothing else. And see how far that takes us. We'll risk it. And that's what you said. And now, look at what's going on. You are floundering. You are in a world of trouble. You're in a world of hurt. You're in a world of mediocrity. And Kevin Durant, if you want to leave again, at this, you can't. You can't. 
for your own legacy at this point. You got to die with the ship that you said you wanted to ride. And they even got the sailors that you wanted to drive the boat. Made the boat to the specifications that you wanted it. And now you're frustrated and potentially we've seen this happen before and you've jumped ship. You have this like the world. For your own legacy, you can't let this happen again. You, you can't let this happen again. You did it. You did it. You left in OKC, even though y'all could have beaten Golden State and gotten to the finals. You, they, you could have asked Westbrook to be traded, and they would have done it because you were the star player. You were the guy. Then you go to. Then you go to Golden State. We all hate it. Again, the weakest move in the history of sports. Right after they lost the finals, but in an upset that nobody saw coming, that only LeBron could produce, and an upset that they had in that season were 73-9. and nine. And you went to them when they didn't need any more pieces. They didn't need any more help. And you went there. Yeah, it was weak. But you won championships. We don't value it as, as nearly as what they should be or rather what it could be because we understand the context takes away everything but won your chips then got mad that you weren't not only the head guy but also feeling not welcome didn't help that Kevin Durant also not, not Kevin Durant didn't help that Kevin Durant and Draymond got into it as well to a degree Draymond pushed KD out of Golden State that's a whole nother matter. Then you go to Brooklyn. Only go if Katie if Kyrie gets Kyrie with you. Gets Brooklyn to sign Kyrie with you. Gets James Harden that you wanted after his MVP years. Gets everybody you want on the boss. Then boom. Gone. Then you leave again. You go to Booker and you get Bradley Bill to be signed on your squad. Everything that you wanted has been given to you, and yet still you can't produce. Now, in this situation, what you had to sacrifice to get the pieces that you wanted, we should have seen this coming. But the point still stands, you've been given everything that you've wanted, and it just has not produced. And if you keep team hopping like you've been doing, you're doing what everybody was saying LeBron was doing. LeBron's situation in this situation is completely different. Completely different. LeBron ran the course until he couldn't run it no more. Cleveland did everything he could, and that team, they just weren't going anywhere. And they weren't bringing anybody there either. I got to go. Miami, Wade, deteriorated like that. Bosch deteriorated like that. And the roster was, no. It was time to go. But he played it out. L.A., frustration. Didn't want a championship. Then frustration. And now look, they look like they're trying to get back into championship caliber again. But he played it out. Any of his runs, he played it out. This is not that. You've gotten everything that you've wanted. You've achieved the people that you wanted surrounding you. And at the slightest hint of friction, now you want to go. Now I get that friction has to be different in different places. Again, KD with the Nets 
And the situation there is different from the situation here, but the point still stands. Still stands. This isn't good. It's not a good look for you. It's not a good look for your legacy. And it's it's like all this is essentially to say you should have stayed in OKC. You should have stayed in Oklahoma. Should have stayed in Oklahoma. Not just for the legacy, but also how they got it set up now. My goodness. My goodness. Especially with the way the Shay's been playing and Chet Hogan, that theoretically might have been you. That theoretically could have been you with Shay and Chet. And a very respectable roster that people would want to go and play for in free agency. This is a situation where hindsight is 2020. You got what you wanted, but at what cost? And now that cost is coming in. Now that cost is coming full circle. Now that cost of what you had to sacrifice in order to be a champion with Golden State. And when you left, now it's coming back to bite you. You could have stayed in, in Golden State. What mean? You could have stayed in Golden State. You could have as well. But any of those situations, you made the bet, and now you have to lie. Now, if you want to get out again, hey, I can't say what you can and can't do, but I can say what it, what the effect will be. The effect will be very detrimental. And at this point, it's interesting to see where you would want to go. New York Knicks, hey, no problem with that. No problem with that. Anything to get, any, anything to get Julius Randle out of New York, I will gladly applaud. Pair him with Jalen, pair KD with Jalen Brunson. Hey, that could be something. And everybody would be like, okay, hey, great. But outside of that, I don't really know where else you could go. If you want to contend, that wouldn't be seen as, oh, you you are, you haven't learned, have you? Wouldn't be seen as, oh, you're still trying to find yourself as the leader of a squad. That's what the narrative is. It's just the truth. From the Fans and some players alike, pundits and experts, everybody. That's what the narrative is. That is surrounding Kevin Durant. So we have to call it like we see it. And right now we're seeing it another cycle of repeating tendencies. We've seen this story before. Know how it's going to end. We just don't know what the ultimate ending will be. Maybe I'm wrong. But if Phoenix doesn't get this fixed somehow, if Phoenix somehow doesn't ride the ship, they could experience exactly what we saw the Nets go through all over again. And, oh boy, how they handle that is going to be something to behold and witness. All we know is whenever it happens, we are going to be right here covering it all on the watch But with that being said, this has been another episode of The Welch Report with me, Jean-Luc Welch. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you so much for listening. I've been your host. Thank you for 
all the support on this phenomenal year again leave a like on the video comment your thoughts and opinions subscribe to the channel and share the show with everybody that you know so we can build up this empire together please leave a like on video share it with everybody make this podcast something great and we will be back if not next week or if, if not later on this week next year for a whole a whole new slew of episodes and who knows what may happen on the show as the new rolls in happy new year everybody late merry christmas to everybody hope y'all celebrate hope y'all get turned and all that stuff but not too turned peace and love we are out of here